Trevor David once again with nothing specific still 2020 still time for a sinkhole to open up right underneath your house if nothing else but that's the thing if you're listening to this likely you're doing all right you know um, if you if you've chosen to lend me your ear however long above all the other millions of things that you could choose to do in this moment obviously you're doing all right and that's something to be grateful for and that's that you know that to me that's what that's the spirit of the season i suppose you know it doesn't have to be specific to christmas or the holidays but <clears throat> it's kind of the spirit of the season i for one am, am, am thankful and grateful that i'm not addicted to opioids i'm, I'm addicted to some other things I got a couple other addictions that I'm working on, and I am in therapy, but I'm not addicted to, to opioids, and the truth of the matter is, I, I wouldn't know an opioid, like, if it if it slapped me in the face, so I've got my man Japan Pimp here with me, Japan Pimp, JP, you there? I'm here, Trevor, how you doing? I'm doing alright, man, are you over on the, on the West Coast? Still West Coasting, brother. What's the weather like where you are? It's uh, rainy as fuck. You know, this is the Pacific Northwest. It is a cold weather rainforest. So think of Hawaii, how it just rains a lot sometimes, and it's warm. Or Japan, it rains a lot. You got that Tsuyu, you know, that rain season. Yep. And then make it 50 degrees and 40 degrees. Wow, okay. Well, you know what? You got like 10 or 20 degrees on me, and I'm in Florida. You wouldn't believe that. That's cold. Yeah, dude, it's like... You know, I went to the University of Florida, with his, which is in North Central Florida, Gainesville to be exact, and that's where that's where I am right now. And Gainesville is not the Florida that you see on postcards and, um, you know, movies. I mean, it, it is, I guess, in the summer. We don't have a beach, but in the summer and, and most of the year, actually, it's warm, sunny, bright, warm. Florida weather, but for a couple of months of the year, including this one, <clears throat> it's really cold, but I'm here and it's unseasonably cold right now, I, you know, if one, one of my sister's friends was just at the house saying, it's going to get down to the 20s in the next couple of days, and to me, that's that's not Florida. 20s in Florida? Brother, you heard me right, 20s, bro, 20s. No, no, I've, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I, it's it's not that hard to believe. Me having lived here for, I mean, I don't live here now, but, you know, I went to school here. And I lived here for, you know, 10 years, maybe more, 12, 15 years, nah, maybe not that many. But I remember in Gainesville, man, it used to be freezing. I mean, it, it, it gets to be really, really cold. You'd, you'd be shocked. I mean, you're in the Pacific Northwest. And you're telling me it's 20 degrees warmer there than where I am. Yeah, no, I, I never would have thought. I've been to Florida a few times on, on business trips and whatnot down near uh, Tampa. And uh, it is... Tampa know, never gets this cold. Tampa never gets this cold. That's that's the thing. Florida has you know an invisible weather line where the terrain and 
the weather changes drastically like it's seemingly like if you travel 30 miles south of here the weather is the weather and the terrain and the topography whatever is super different than here like the, this is kind of where, where where north central florida is it's kind of the same as like georgia but florida the florida you imagine like tampa you know that florida i got you <clears throat> that florida yeah, doesn't but... start until uh, you know another eh, 60 70 80 miles south of where i am i got you yeah so you're 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 in this little pocket this little belt Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Weather is fascinating like that, man. Exactly. Um, you know what else is, is fascinating? All these people hooked on opioids, and, and I heard you say that you're, yeah, you're not hooked on opioids, but boy, that's a big problem these days in America. Well, knock on wood, man. You know, knock on wood that I'm not. Um, you know, I, 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 like I said, I don't know what an opioid is i do have my own addictions you know i'm dealing with them i guess everybody sort of does um but you know luckily i guess i don't i'm not dealing with anything as bad in quotes as opioid addiction so let's start with what the hell is an opioid well i'm not a doctor or anything i'll just give you the japan pimp answer based on whatever I've accumulated in my head over the years of knowledge about it, which could or could not be um, as accurate as a doctor or someone may explain it. But an opioid is basically, at a highest level, it is, it is you have uppers and you have downers. You have drugs that make you all jacked and amped up, like uh, cocaine, right? A stimulant. And then you have the opposite of those. You have ones that chill you out, lay you back, get you drowsy, all that kind of slow you down downers so an opioid the opioid is a downer think of it as heroin or or heroin heroin and its synthetics so you you've heard of prescription drugs like fentanyl i've heard of fentanyl uh prince died of a fentanyl overdose yep yep that's right so fentanyl oxycontin codeine morphine those are all opioids. That's all like the heroin family. And they, 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 their job is to what? Dull pain? Their job is to, is to slow you down to, yes, uh, to dull, to dull your body, to, to bring you down, super relax you. Um, um, if you have pain, it will, it will, um, the receptors in your brain that that pick up that pain it will it will dull those receptors so to speak yeah so yeah it it, it, it lowers your senses okay okay so somebody who's experiencing you know excruciating or ongoing or chronic pain physical pain uh, and who doesn't want to experience that to the degree that maybe he or she is, he's going to take an opioid. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're in the if you're in a hospital and you you're you you've broken a, a, a bone or you're you're like you're hurting really bad. There's some super physical pain going on. The strongest thing they can give you is codeine, and they'll just they'll only let you jack up 
your, your self dose there in the bed by pressing that button a lot. They'll let you jack that codeine up so far. But yeah, that that's like this super strong painkiller, and they they also uh, prescribe it to people in pills um, who have chronic pain. So yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay. So it isn't a psychological drug. It's it's not it's not it's not it's not a mood altering drug. No, it does alter your mood. It brings you down, so it gets you drowsy. Um, you've heard of uh, lean, right? The, the rappers and, and those kind of guys drink lean. Right. And lean, lean is basically codeine and some stuff. That, from, from my knowledge, I might be wrong there, but uh, you know, cough syrup and co- has codeine and all stuff. Mix it up in some drink and drink that, and it brings them down. It chills them out. It changes their mood from from hyper to like super chill, super low. Slows right. your heart rate down. You take too much, your heart's gonna stop. Right. So that, that was my next question. Like I, you know, like I said, Prince died of fentanyl. Um, I'm not sure what it was that Michael Jackson died of. Um, pro- something similar. Something, right, something similar. Well, that's doctor- why. That's why I brought him up. Mm-hmm. His doc, he was having trouble sleeping, and he wanted his doctor to shoot something into his arm. I forgot the particular drug, but I want to say a, it was pro- a propofil. That's I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not, not sure. I'm not uh, but it slowed his 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 body down so much that his heart just stopped, and and the doctor wasn't monitoring him at the time. And usually, when that happens, the doctors will come in and shoot you up with a uh, a stimulant, some adrenaline, you know, to get you going again. Wow, that just But uh, sounds... he overdosed him, and his heart just stopped. That sounds like a crazy thing to put your body through voluntarily, you know, to get yourself doped down, and then, and then, you know, that, that becomes dangerous, and, and, and maybe there's the possibility that you've got to get yourself doped up again. And you know, in order Some to people live. do both. Some people take a downer and an upper at the same time. So they'll do like some cocaine and some fentanyl or something like that. What the for what? Like to get to, to get back to get exactly back to where they were? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how it works, man. I yeah. I, I don't shoot the stuff up, but um, I was you know, I was talking to some people and and they they do. Um, stimulants and downers at the same time so who are the people hooked on these opioids man who's hooked who who's the crisis affecting you know we have this we have this crisis in america i was listening to npr this morning uh, and it was talking about the opioid crisis in america and it's hitting the same demographic as the meth crisis. So yeah, it, it's mostly white people. Um, it's white people who are getting prescriptions from their doctors for fentanyl and oxycontin, or whatever else, and they're taking it. And it it makes sense because uh, uh, black and brown people usually don't have the same level of insurance as white people. This is a this is that reports and studies have been done on this a lot recently in America, and black and brown people usually have lesser insurance. You know, not quite as good, and they'll go in to get treated by a doctor, and the doctor's like, eh, 
And so a lot of hospitals and doctors prefer to treat white people. They do some some type of screening there to get more white patients because they make more money because the white patients have the better insurance. So in order to get these drugs, they're getting it through insurance. So it just makes sense that who has the most insurance, who has more insurance, the white people, they're getting these drugs and um, the crisis is affecting them. So you mentioned, or or I think you had mentioned something about the, a correlation between these white people men and like lawsuits, homelessness. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's not, what, what, what NPR was saying this morning is that um, a lot of the people who are being affected by the opioid crisis are are putting pressure on politicians, local politicians, businesses uh, to to do something about their addiction, to help them, um, and, and and they're they're they are suing. Um, they, they've gotten to a point where they've where, where the government has now taken notice, and the government is saying, you know, the government's always playing some kind of racist card. You know, that's just how the American government works. They, well, let's incarcerate black and brown people. Let's help white people, right? So, the white people in America are suddenly having this opioid crisis. So the government is responding and saying, okay, we'll do something about it. What do you need? Well, go sue Walmart because their pharmacy distributed oxycodone and fentanyl. Go sue Walmart, go after Walmart, go after the big pharma companies that make this stuff. Make them pay for getting us hooked. So the government is encouraging I mean, people to sue the people that are distributing and making these drugs, but at the end of the day, the government has to give the drug its approval. The, the, the FDA has to say, sure, these things are safe, they're, 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 they're not harmful. Well, you that's can- the thing. That's the thing. So the FDA already gave approval for these drugs years ago. Um, and, and it's not the government telling the people to go through these places. It's the people putting pressure on the government. It's the white people putting pressure on the government to do something to these companies. Um, because because they, want, they, they don't want to accept responsibility for their addiction. They want someone else to be responsible for their addiction. So, They're not taking ownership of their addiction. So these... <laughs> there's millions of these people, white people, because the opioid crisis, based on what you're telling me, is not really affecting black and brown communities as much, right? No, no, it's not. Right, and, you know, um, we don't even really include Asian. At, at some point, I guess we should. We say black, brown, we should say yellow, too. I guess, um, <clears throat> right? Shouldn't we? I mean, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, hey, let's do it, right? So yeah. black, brown, black, white, brown, yellow. Black, yeah, but the but the white people are the ones that are affected by it. So, and and they're not. I mean, what what kind of like um, what do you think that says about them? You know, the people who are saying, yeah, I got myself addicted to this drug, or I'm addicted to this drug. It's your fault because you sold it to me. I mean, that's kind of the same as like a gambler saying, hey, let's shut Las Vegas. You owe me some money. I went there. I, I, I'm, I'm a gambling addict. Exactly. I went there. I lost a bunch of money. So I'm going to sue Las Vegas 
because I went to the city because I like gambling and, and they're, they're still open. I can go there tomorrow if I want and that shouldn't be. I mean, is that the case? Yeah, that, that's exactly the case. That's my take on it. Um, and, and, and hearing these, it, it, it's exactly as you said, it's like an alcoholic saying, hey, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm going to sue Budweiser, uh, the, the, the manufacturers. I'm going to also sue the liquor stores, the Walmarts, right, who are distributors, because they're making it too easy for me to buy alcohol. Just, I mean, it, it just makes no sense. So what what should they do? I mean, like, what, you know, like... Have they been winning these lawsuits, bro? Have they been winning these lawsuits? Yeah, yeah. One, one, one big pharma company. I forgot the, I forgot the name. You can probably look it up on Google. Just pharma company sued for op- op- opioid. There's a couple of really big pharma companies that were sued, and the lawsuit passed. It won. They had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars, and it was a family-owned business, and and they just, you know somehow moved the money around and avoided paying it and did a bankruptcy thing and whatever else. So damages were never really paid. Um, but yeah, they're winning these lawsuits and now the DOJ, Department of Justice, is going after Walmart. And I heard that on uh, NPR this morning. And they're suing Walmart because Walmart, uh, because they said Walmart was, was distributing opioids um, haphazardly, basically. That's my own word, but haphazardly, without um, really verifying or, or, or digging into whether or not the person actually needed them. Is that a pharmacist's job to screen people? If they have a prescription from a doctor, why does the pharmacist have to be the cop? Yeah, I mean, that, you know. It sounds to me like the pharmacist sh- should also be the doctor. Let- let's cut out the middleman. Let's cut somebody out. I mean, if if the doctor says you, you know, you, your condition warrants your use of this drug and here, go get it. <laughs> you know, the pharmacist's job is to fill the bottle with pills and tell you what it's going to do. It's not the pharmacist's job to... to to try to ascertain whether or not you need these things. That's what the doctor just did. The, the doctor just did that. He's done his job. Right. You know, he's 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 just dictated that he thinks at least you need this. But it sounds to me, man, like on a bigger level, it, it really sounds like I don't want to say the end of, but um, you know, pharmaceutical companies are some of the richest companies in the world, and. They, they they run governments. I mean, they the pharmaceutical companies make trillions of dollars. They, the government is going to sue a pharmaceutical company or a Walmart for distributing, for selling something. You know, that's, that's basically what they're doing because I can turn around and say, well, hey, I'm addicted to Pop-Tarts. I'm addicted to Pop-Tarts and these Pop-Tarts have preservatives and they're not real healthy and I can't stop eating them. I'm going to sue Walmart because they're selling me what I want. I mean, that sounds to me like the government versus corporate America. It sounds suicidal. It sounds like the snake eating its tail to me. You know, it is. It's a strange thing, which is why America's America is a litigious society. Yes, we it love, is. 
everything we do is, you know, if you get anywhere in this country, you have to have a team of lawyers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, somebody sued. McDonald's has been sued before. I, know I remember that. these cases, and people were blaming McDonald's for their weight problem. It's like, did McDonald's force you to come into their restaurant and order five supersized fries every week? You know, with some fucking. You know, milkshakes and stuff, but and now you're suing McDonald's. You know, it's it's the same sort of thing. But these law, some of these lawsuits won, man. That's the crazy thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's kind of my point. Like, it's it's insane. It's insane. It's like, okay, you have the freedom to exercise your will to go to McDonald's and eat, you know, ten Big Macs and eight chocolate shakes, and you. It's your choice. You've got the freedom to do that. That's kind of what. The beauty of America is that's that's that that's the envy of the world in terms of America is that freedom of choice to do whatever the hell you want and the abundance to go get it. You know, it's there. Whatever the hell you want, you can go get it every day. And now you got people suing the you know the the merchants of consumer goods like shutting that kind of it sets a precedent you know that hey maybe you shouldn't sell something so good maybe in some moments of time some locations you're not allowed to sell good things not to you know not that mcdonald's is good my point being things that people want that seems insane but like you said america being a litigious society Everybody's always, you know, that 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 dovetails in capitalism. Everybody's always trying to make a buck one way or another. So, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I, you know, I weigh 600 pounds. I'm unhealthy. I've got heart disease. I've been eating McDonald's 40 years of my life. It's hard for me to do anything, whatever. I'm going to turn around and sue McDonald's and see if I can come up. It, it's just, yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like, it's just, you know, it's a come up, but. It's also, to me, a shocking indictment of the weakness and fragility and frailty of the white American psyche or the white American, you know, emotion, yeah. you know, e- emotional stability or lack thereof. You got you're taking drugs. You're, you got yourself addicted to the drugs, and now you're going to sue Walmart because they sold you the damn drugs? Are you not a grown man? Did somebody walk you to Walmart, you know, with a pistol at your head saying, you're going to buy these goddamn fentanyls? No, but, you, you, you know, no. You know, I, I, I think you touched on it. It's that whiteness in America that is the cause of these problems. Because if you think about it, think about it. I've, I've been trying to wrap my head around this. I'm trying to dig into why. If you really think about it, white privilege is causing this problem. I'll explain. Recently, white privilege is not what it used to be. You know, in the 40s and 50s, you had good jobs just because you were white, right? You 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 knew somebody. Hey, come work at the at the um, come work at the office. Don't worry about it. You're a friend of the family or whatever. We went to school together. It's an automatic hookup. Being white was just an automatic hookup for jobs and wherever else. That white privilege is going away, right? Now, I know a lot of white people now who are struggling. Oh, sure. They are, 
they, they, they are they could barely pay their rent and all that stuff. And it wasn't like this, Trevor. It wasn't like this 30 or 40 years ago. 30 or 40 years ago, most of the white people, I, I knew very little white people who were struggling, who were really struggling. Now I know tons. So that white privilege is going away. And this is what's happening. Homelessness, addiction, all this stuff. These are symptoms of white privilege going away. And and so what's, what's happening is the white people in America have never really had hard times, you know, as a whole, right, as a people. Um, they've always had good times, and so a lot of them are falling on hard times for the first time in their generation, in their family, and they don't know how to cope with it, right? They don't know how to cope with being number two or not having enough, or and so they're and so they're 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 running away to some kind of escape. They want to drink more. They want to they want some opioids. They want something to run away to because life sucks right now for them. But when you look at black people or brown people or someone that's always had to struggle, it's just Tuesday, right? It's just <laughs> right, Tuesday. Right. Hey, I lost my job. Man, it's just Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not going to run away to drugs and alcohol because we've been struggling our whole life. We know how to deal with nothing. We know how to deal with, with, not, with not having any privilege. So the white people don't know how to deal with it because things are changing rapidly for them. They're running away to these things, and they're choosing um, their vices over rent, right? Nobody asked them to spend 500 a month, 800 a month on their opioids or their heroin, right, or their alcohol and sacrifice rent. They're choosing to do that and live on the street in these tent cities. That's what white privilege and the, the, the wanting of white, white privilege is causing the homelessness and these addictions. Bro, that sounds to me like an implosion of white America. I mean, you know, what what you said is so true and so right, and I had never, ever considered it before. I, I can remember 30, 40 years ago here in America, I didn't know too many white people who were struggling either. They all seemed to be doing well. They all seemed to have nice big houses, cars, insurance bank accounts vacations you know um i didn't know a lot of white people back then who were struggling either but you're right now they're they're in the pretty much the same predicament economically yeah as black people you know um hispanics it's the same it's everybody's just struggling to survive the economic the economic, you know, playing field really, really has leveled in such a way that, you know, white people's income has dropped and matches, you know, the the brother down the block. Pretty much, pretty much. And that's causing a lot of these problems. And, you know, one thing, you know, so these things were really getting to me when I was listening to the NPR thing, the, this white privilege. Oh, it, you know, we're going to sue all these pharma companies for our for our addiction. And then the cities and government saying, oh, let's help homeless people. You know, uh, let's help all these drug addicts. They need help. They don't need to be thrown in jail. Well, where was this in the 80s and 90s when all the black and brown people were doing crack? Where, where was this? Where was the sympathy? Where was the, let's help these people? All of a sudden, 
a bunch of white people start having drug problems, and, and it's it meth and opioids. These are all white people problems in the rural areas, and in the in, in the in the in, in the in not only rural areas, but you know, urban areas too. All of a sudden, a lot of white people, the majority of white people, are, are in this drug crisis in America, which is causing homelessness, all these other problems. Now, all of a sudden, let's help them. Well, let me ask you a question, bro. How big, if that's the right adjective, how how pervasive is the opioid crisis for, for, for these white people who are suffering from it? Like, how, you know... Give me a statistic or paint me a picture like, you know, I, I work in an office. Let's say I work in an office. I work in an imaginary office. There are 20 employees. 18 of them are white. How many of those 18 people are going home and taking fentanyl and whatever else you said every night? How how deep is the problem? Uh, I heard those stats. I can't recall them right now. And I'm sure it would be an easy Google search for any listeners. I was listening to um, a show not too long ago. It was a news a news show. They had a reporter on the street going to urban areas where they have these homeless camps, these tent cities, and they were going to Phoenix, Arizona. They were going to Florida. They were going to San Francisco, L.A., all over the states. And they were interviewing the homeless people. Like 90% of them were white that, 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 that were being interviewed. They were all out there. 90% were white, and and they all said that they were drug addicts. Mm. Like, like not all, like, like practically everyone, but there was like one or two families who were living on the street, but they were only there for a short period of time. And then they, the reporter asked the people, well, what about someone who's truly, uh, who's not a drug user, and they're, they're, they're having a hard time? And they said, oh, those people are just here for a few weeks, and then they find something, and you know, and, and, and they're gone. But with the chronic people who are always on the street, they are the drug users, and that's this homeless crisis. Bro, when I was so in L.A. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I was in L.A. in January this year. And, you know, I lived in L.A. before. So I left L.A. I, 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 to move here to Atlanta, what, 2016? That's four years ago. And at that time, just four years ago, L.A.'s, LA's homeless... Uh, crisis was relegated to downtown LA predominantly everybody if you lived in LA you knew downtown LA has a huge homeless population half of downtown LA was the homeless owned it maybe not half but I, you know there's a street I, I think it's San Pedro that if you go east of that street all that whole side of downtown LA is homeless and that was four years ago but there weren't very many homeless people in the valley in Hollywood there were no camps there were no camps you might see the stray homeless person but there were no camps bro when I went there this January there were homeless camps in in San Fernando Valley under bridges in Hollywood it, homeless camps everywhere silver lake that that i was like i couldn't believe it in four years it seemed like the homeless population bro i can't even say tripled i i quadrupled quintupled it's unbelievable 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty nutty. I'm actually looking at the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, and it's talking about whiteness and race, ethnicity, and gender differences in drug use and, and abuse among college students. And, and they're all coming up majority white. And then there's this other article that talks about the war on drugs, which actually touches, I've never seen this before, but it touches on the point I made earlier about white privilege going away. This is from the, uh, the, the same resource, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health. The article is titled, The War on Drugs That Wasn't, Wasted Whiteness. Dirty Doctors and Race in Media Coverage of Prescription Opioid Misuse. So wasted whiteness. That tells you that that they're wasting that white pri- white privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and then the article is just going on here to talk about how bad the opioid problem is among whites in America. And it has a picture of a, of a white lady here shooting up on the street. Um... So yeah, this is this is meth and opioids are a white people uh, problem that's plaguing America right now, bro. But listen, I mean, if you're a black man and your enemy, you know, or your imagined enemy, that being the white man, is doing something to himself to <laughs> destroy the privilege that he was born with. He's destroying that by taking drugs and becoming addicted to these drugs. That creates a situation for you that could be a come up. You know, I I guess what I want to ask is, you know, give me a prediction, man. What do you think America will look like in 10 or just 10 or 20 years, 10 or 20 years, 2040? You know, that's 20 years from now. What, what, What do you think? the demographics of America will look like, you know, I think white people are no longer the majority, not saying that there are more Spanish or more blacks, but the combination of blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, I think just in the last few years has surpassed the number of white people, just in terms of population here in America. But, you know, COVID is happening, opioid crisis happening. What what's going to happen to the white to white America, bro? What's white America going to look like in forty years? You know, I, I would say look at the rules. Look at the rural areas in America, and that's your predictor. Um, don't look at the at the urban areas. It's, I, I think I think the data is a bit, you have to go where it's majority white to see that trend. Um, for example, we have um, property in a very small town here in the Pacific Northwest, population 2,000, you know, 2,200 tops, small town, <coughs> all white, less than 1% black. I think there's one black family in the whole town besides us. And um, uh, I've been talking a lot with the neighbors, and they're all nice, and white folk and all that stuff, <coughs> get along great. But a lot of all these guys that I talk to, they're older guys. They're working guys, contractors. One guy runs a quarry. One guy's a builder. One guy runs a, a farm or something. And they keep telling me, like every time we talk, it's like, 
how how their how their their workers don't show up because they're on drugs and it's hard to find work and it's it's hard to find good workers da 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 and they're just going on and on about how how um, there's becoming this big gap in rural areas between those who are ready and willing to work and trying to be productive members of society and then those that just want to waste away on drugs and, 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 and whatever else. And but, they're feeling the pain. And this is a recent trend, and I see this trend continuing in white America. Let me ask you a question, bro. What gives America superpower status? I mean, the, the picture of the population of America that you're painting for me, you know, these white people who have essentially, you know, along with slavery, along with black black power, whatever, you know, these white people have essentially been the engine or the creative engine, I guess, um, of this country becoming, you know, the economic powerhouse that it became, of course, along with black manpower, okay? But these white people... You know, they, they, they put on the shiny, happy face of being being the product of success, you know, but they're not so much anymore. I mean, it, you know, you, you, you look at all these, you look at our greatest cities, Los Angeles, New York, um, you know, I, I don't know if Atlanta would be considered a great city yet. I think it is. But, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Detroit, uh, you know, Pittsburgh. These the cities, you know, that historically have been the economic engines of America, and they're dilapidated, ruined, they're not making anything, and now there's an opioid crisis, you know, taking hold of that very community or that very demographic that has historically been the most productive for America. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's... Yeah, yeah, but but you see, they're they're running. Let me illustrate it like this: trust babies. So you have a bunch of rich great grandparents who just built an enormous amount of wealth, and I'm going to come back. uh, This illustration is actually going to tie into reality. Um, You have a bunch of rich great grandparents. They accumulated wealth. They passed it on to their children. Their children passed it on to their children through trust and whatever else. And then you're born, right? You get a piece of it, and it's like, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a fucking, uh, what, 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 what's the name of that show with the, with, with, with the Happy Gilmore? He didn't do Happy Gilmore. He did uh, the one where he's just a spoiled rich kid running around. I, I don't uh, know. Wasting his. I, I really don't. Yeah, know. yeah. Adam Sandler did that movie where he's, he's just a spoiled rich kid wasting, uh, drinking alcohol all day and everything. Uh, but, but that's what, that's what you do. When you're a trust baby, right? You just you fuck around and, and enjoy life and drink drink booze with your friends and party and be a socialite and all that kind of stuff, right? You're, you you squander stuff. You squander stuff usually, right? If, if you trust babies are gonna try to <laughs> now think about America. That happened. Now, when you think about what you 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 ask the question, why is America a superpower? Because the great great grandparents, the OGs set it up and and that's it full stop and that is running out of steam that's losing its momentum so back in the day i remember this clearly because i studied uh uh the, the 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 richest business people in america's history andrew carnegie 
uh, Vanderbilt, uh, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, you know, all these guys, right? They, these men built America, right? Um, the amount of wealth that Carnegie had, Rockefeller, dwarfs Bill Gates and Elon Musk when, when you compare dollars in their day to dollars in our day, mm-hmm. you, you know, if, if things were equal. Dwarfs, bro, by, by like 50 times up to 100 times. Mm-hmm. Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. These guys, those old OG American guys that built America were ballers, dude, with a capital B. They made Elon Musk look like an ant. They made Jeff Bezos look like an ant. But a lot of their legacy continues today. Rockefeller, oil companies, right? Exxon, all these guys, Standard Oil, whatever. You know, uh, Carnegie, you know, all these guys, J.P. Morgan, their legacy, their money lives on today. But it's, it's, um, it's changing. And that's what propelled America in the beginning. And then here comes the world wars. America sits back, lets the countries fight. Right, they're draining their money, draining their resources, and America steps in and says, "Okay, we will, we will do some things for you, but pay us in gold." So then America started hoarding all the world gold at the time of the world wars, and then that got messed up in the 1970s when they detached the gold standard from the dollar. Right, and so America's just been in this progressive downward trend ever since the great people that built this country. You, you know, through capitalism, extreme capitalism, um, ever since they, ever since they're, they're, uh, they've passed. So, um, <laughs> what makes America a superpower is the fact that these um, people that built America set it up that way, and we still we're still benefiting from that trust that they set up, quote unquote trust, so to speak. And that funds our military, that funds all kinds of things. And, 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 and I think that, that it's, it is that combined with the amount of money we spend on our military, which is many times more than any other country in the world. Those two things make us a superpower. Is it changing? Yes, I think it is. I think China's getting momentum. India's getting momentum. As all these other countries start coming into technology, I mean, look at us. We just had a massive cyber security attack on our country, and um, that's a level playing field. No battleships and, and, and cruisers and Tomahawk tow missiles are going to, are, you know, they can't compare with us at that level. But on the cyber level, level playing field, baby. North Korea has some of the best hackers in the <laughs> world, so, you know, that's just how it is. Hey, man, these white people who are addicted to opioids and suing Walmart, are they morally inferior are they a morally inferior group? You hear, you hear, you know, Generation Y, you know, um, they, they, they don't know how to make friends. They don't know how to communicate and operate in the real world. Generation X, Generation Z, XYZ, you know, you hear these demographics being vilified in terms of their inability, you know, their, their literal lack of intellect lack of willpower lack of character do you think these white people who are addicted to opioids are in morally inferior weak characters you know i i don't think that they are morally inferior they choose they are choosing a path to enjoy their life how they see fit no i'm not talking about their addiction 
I'm talking about they're suing. They're, 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 you know, they're turning around and... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, I see, stooping to that level. No, no, I don't, and here's why. They don't know any better. They're taking that white privilege, and they're, you know, white, uh, uh, a, a result of right, white privilege is that it's everyone's fault but yours, right? So uh, let me illustrate it like this. I was working at a, at a tech company back in the day in San Francisco, and I was just a grunt, right? Guy in the front lines. The owner's wife... You know, they, they were ballers. They had millions of dollars. The owner's wife called me. And it was working on Saturday. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my shift on Saturday. Okay, I'm going to have some people deliver <laughs> some patio furniture. Some, they're going to deliver some patio furniture to the office. It's for my house. Please sign for it because I won't be there to sign. And I said, okay, fine, no problem. I'm working Saturday, delivery company shows up with all these nice wooden chairs and tables and all this fancy teak wood patio stuff and I sign the form and they, they leave it in the in the storage facility, right? In in the in, in the office. She comes in on Monday, unwraps the stuff and starts yelling at me. All of a sudden it's my problem, it's my fault. And I'm like I'm like, What? You know what? This these chairs have water damage. This table has water damage. Did you unwrap it to inspect it? I'm, I'm like, no, I didn't. You just told me to sign for it. Well, she was pissed, dude. She, it was all my fault that the delivery company delivered wood furniture that was water damaged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I should have checked. You know, it's not her fault. It's not, you know, it's not her fault because, it, look, if she wanted that furniture, she could have been there to sign for it and inspect it. If it was that important to her, she could have stopped her Saturday plans or had it delivered to her house or, or whatever, right? No, my fault. So it's 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 not that she is morally, it's not that she was morally inferior to me. It's that she just didn't know not to, she, she just didn't know how to accept responsibility to, to, to be accountable for her decisions and her actions. It's always someone else. And she's coming from that place of privilege because she is rich, white, and, and, and all that. Do you think do you think white people are having a problem with their sense of self-esteem? Bro, do 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 you understand my question? Do do you know like they've always like you said just kind of been privileged they've, they've always just been sort of privileged to be white you know doors fly open for them and you know um you know carte blanche carte blanche treatment every anywhere they go um but now there's a crisis in their community and they don't you know they, they, the, the the economic playing field has been leveled they're not, you know, there aren't as many trust babies anymore. There's, there, there's, like we said, lots more of these white people who are financially struggling, you know, um, turning to opioids and, 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 and forming tent communities and things like that. Do you think that there's a crisis within, like, a, like a, an existential crisis happening in white people where their self-esteem where their whiteness is no longer their card and they just don't know what to do. Yes. That is your, yes. Without a doubt. And that's why so many supported Trump. That's why they supported Trump because they want their whiteness back. They want that white privilege back. They want their, um, 
they want jobs to come to them just by default, right? They, they want all this stuff, and, and, and they're, they, um, the, the, the white privilege, the, inherit, the inherited white privilege of a white American is slowly going away, and there are some that are desperately trying to hold on to it. And, and, and yes, I think that that is a... I think that that is perpetuating their problem because it's causing them to not look for solutions. It's causing them to just look for um, people they can blame, in anyone but themselves. I don't want to learn a new skill. I don't. I, I want to keep working at the blue collar factory that I've worked at for whatever, making cars in Detroit. I don't want to learn computers. Bring those jobs back. Well, hey, buddy. How about we bring back all the blacksmith jobs too, and we can start fixing horse and buggy and carriages. Let's bring those jobs back too, right? They took those jobs away. No, the horse and buggy blacksmith learned something new. Now they learned how to machine parts for automobiles. Well, that that changed too, and now they're learning how to program computer chips on cars. So how about you go learn a new skill? So yeah, I think it is a crisis, and that crisis is it is um, self-destructive because it's causing them. It's causing white Americans, many white Americans, to to not look for solutions, to just play the victim and keep blaming others. And how and how will that affect the rest of America? Do you understand? Like, you know, if 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 these white Americans go through this opioid crisis and start suing Walmart and uh, you know m- more and more homeless homelessness metastasizes you know throughout the country um how's that yeah, gonna will that weaken america's position and, and how will that affect america no, no not, not just america. not just america let's start with how will it affect like black people how will it affect our community it'll bring more opportunity it'll bring more opportunity to black and brown people and yellow people right um and back to the rule um, I said, look to the rules, right, <clears throat> for what's going to happen. As a result of my conversations with these people, these these business owners in the, in the rural um, community that, that we live, they're looking to hire Mexicans, you know, black people, whatever. They don't care. They're not uh, – they're becoming less and less um, – Race, um, race they're become, specific. They're becoming – Yes, they're becoming less and less race-specific and more and more colorblind because at the end of the day, they're just looking for someone who's going to work. And so the demographics of this community are starting to change. It's now almost 20% Hispanic because they just can't find people, white people who want to work like they used to, and they all say the same thing. Nobody wants to work anymore. Wow, man. It's bringing opportunity to the Hispanics. That's intense, man. That's intense. And, you know, you can see... Well, I mean, I live in Atlanta. 20 years ago, I, I, I didn't know there were any Hispanics in Atlanta. I'd never heard of it. it, it you know, I, I've always thought of and heard of Atlanta being a black city. Well, it very much is a black city, but trust and believe, there is a huge Hispanic population, thriving population in, in Atlanta, and they're popping up all over the place. You know, is the black is Black America ready, willing, able, and poised to take advantage of this sort of transfer of economic power, even at the lower 
economic levels, like, you know, the, the kinds of jobs that Hispanics do that white people don't want to do. I mean, are, is the black community, you know, ready, willing, able and poised to, 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 you know, don't make me answer that Trevor. Don't make that. That's, I'm going to piss a lot of black people off. Um, you know what? I, I don't think black people are, are, are going to want to do that stuff. A lot of black Americans come from this place of privilege too. You owe us, you know, they, they, you know, they just want people to hook them up, you know, give me my, give me my reparations. You know what I'm saying? My great-grandpappy never got 40 acres in a meal, so hook me up. A lot of black people just want that want that instant hookup, and they don't want to put that work in. So and, you uh, got... That's the difference between a Hispanic and a black person. So you got a sinking white ship, okay? You got a sinking white ship. Then you also got a sinking black ship, because I agree with you. I, I don't think the black community is ready... Uh, or able, or you know what I'm going to say, alert, aware enough of what's happening to be, you know, coherent and unified enough to make the jump into a whole new economic, you know, status as a community. I don't think we're ready to do to, to, to do that either. We're too busy listening to, you know, um, Playboy Cardi. And, yeah, you right, know, right. drinking lean, smoking right. weed, you know, trying to get some ass and trying to get a, get a pair of red bottoms. We're, we're too heavy yeah. into all that stuff to notice what's happening. But you are so right. That's my point. The Hispanic community is unified in, in a way that black America never has been. But the Hispanic community very much is, and so is the Asian community. So yeah. while while the white, you know, while middle class white America undoes itself through its opioid addiction, and Black America undoes itself, kind of just you know through its cultural <laughs> pitfalls, you know, who's going to fill the vacuum? Uh, Asians and Hispanics and uh, Indians from India and um, and and uh, um, um, parts of black community and white community yeah. that want to work. Yeah. You have to put that work in and there's an awful lot of black and it, the Asians and Hispanic don't necessarily have this problem but like entitlement and privilege problem. The black and white communities have this problem. The white community has this privilege problem an entitlement problem, the black community has this you owe us problem, you know, so hook us up. And a lot of them aren't willing. I know a lot of black people, half my family is black, I'm half black. I know a lot of black people who who just don't want to work yep. the way that people need them to work. Yep. And white people that don't want to work the way people need them to work either. Yep. It's like, and, and, and they're, they're both operating from the, 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 the white people are operating from a frame of mind of, Oh, I don't got to work that hard because it's always been so easy for us and everything. And I, it, it'll work out. You know, my, my, my grandpa's rich or whatever else. Then you got the black people who aren't really working because I ain't doing that. You know, hook, hook me up with a, hook me up with a, with, with a front office. And, a, you, you know, I just want to go from, I want to go from like nothing to like instant baller. When crack came on the scene, bro, in the eighties, I was in New York and 
when crack first came on the scene, it decimated black communities, decimated black, entire black communities where like everybody was on crack. And if you weren't on crack, you were caught in the crossfire of crack. But 40 years later, crack isn't still the same, you know, doesn't have the same impact on black communities. It's kind of, you know, there, there's, there's definitely still people on crack, but it's not, you know, it's not ravaging the community to the same degree it was in the 80s. Is that what's going to happen with these opo- opioids? Are we going to look back 20 or 30 years ago and go, man, do you remember when, you know, everybody in that town was on opioids? Are they going to get it under control, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, things things go in cycles and ways and trends and fads. I mean, back in China, right back in the day, everyone was on uh, opium, right? That was just a drug of choice. The whole nation was like, like, you know, smoked out all day. You know what I'm saying? And back in the 80s, right, all the black people and, and poor communities want crack. And, you know, rich communities too. You know, the mayors and stuff were doing that. Um, and then, you know, now we have the opioid problem and the mess problem with white people today. It'll pass. It'll pass. But um, the damage it's going to do, what it's going to do is it's going to um, it, 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 it is going to it's going to speed up or hasten the decline of white privilege. That's what it's going to do. And it's going to make, it's going to keep putting white people on a similar level as black and Hispanic and Asian. That's what it's going to do. So um, everyone that is, uh, that wants that white privilege back, that, that entitlement, um, and, and, and they're, they're doing their opioids and meth at the same time, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. New Year's Eve, man. New Year's. 2021 is, is five days away. What are you doing with your family, bro? Boy, we're moving. We're, we're moving into a place that's um, a little closer to our property. Uh, you know, we bought some land. We're building a home. Yeah, we're going to be busy moving from now until we're, uh, we're moving early next week, so... Wow, you're you're moving into a new place. You're you're moving into a new place for a new year. Wow, that's fantastic, man. I I, I you know that sounds like a, a I can't think of a better way to start the year than in a brand new house. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to make a single um, resolution, bro. Just re, you know, just resolve to live well in your in your new home, man. Listen. I really appreciate. Yeah, it, it, it's not a new home. We're 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 renting a we're renting a place near our property. So. Oh okay. It, 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 it's a, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade from this apartment because we have we have three kids, two dogs, wife, and a little eight hundred square foot place. It's like a tiny New York thing, and it's like we're we're going nuts here with the homeschooling and everything. Well, hey, <clears throat> that sounds like um good fodder for um an- another conversation homeschooling new home new land new year let's um you know let's wrap it up we're, we're getting close to that hour mark japan pimp i so appreciate you enlightening me on the opioid crisis that you know might just level the playing field here in in, in america with these white people um shooting themselves in their white feet um i appreciate it i'm i'm 
I'm going to talk to you in the in the new year, brother. Likewise, likewise. Looking forward to it, Trevor. All right, this is Trevor David Houchin with my man Japan Pimp, and this is Nothing Specific. Trevor David once again with nothing specific still 2020 it's still time for a sinkhole to open up right underneath your house if nothing else but that's the thing if you're listening to this likely you're doing all right you know um, if you if you've chosen to lend me your ear, however long, above all the other millions of things that you could choose to do in this moment, obviously you're doing all right, and that's something to be grateful for, and that's, you know, to me, that's what, that's the spirit of the season, I suppose, you know, it doesn't have to be specific to Christmas or the holidays, but it's kind of the spirit of the season. I, for one, am, am, am thankful and grateful that I'm not addicted to opioids. I'm, I'm addicted to some other things. I got a couple other addictions that I'm working on, and I am in therapy. But I am not addicted to, to opioids. And the truth of the matter is, I, I wouldn't know an opioid like if it if it slapped me in the face. So I've got my man Japan Pimp here with me. Japan Pimp, JP, you there? I'm here, Trevor. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Are you over on the on the West Coast? Still West Coasting, brother. What's the weather like where you are? It's uh, rainy as fuck. You know, this is the Pacific Northwest. It is a cold weather rainforest. So think of Hawaii, how it just rains a lot sometimes, and it's warm. Or Japan, it rains a lot. You got that Tsuyu, you know, that rain season. Yep. And then make it 50 degrees and 40 degrees. Wow, okay, well, you know what? You got like 10 or 20 degrees on me, and I'm in Florida. You wouldn't believe that. That's cold. Yeah, dude, it's like... You know, I went to the University of Florida, which is in north-central Florida, Gainesville to be exact, and that's where that's where I am right now. And Gainesville is not the Florida that you see on postcards and... Um, you know, movies. I mean, it, it is, I guess, in the summer. We don't have a beach. But in the summer, and, and most of the year, actually, it's warm. Sunny, bright, warm Florida weather. But for a couple of months of the year, including this one, <clears throat> it's really cold. But I'm hearing it's unseasonably cold right now. I, you know, if one, one of my sister's friends was just at the house saying, it's going to get down to the 20s in the next couple of days and to me that's that's not florida 20s in florida brother you heard me right 20s bro 20s no not i've never heard of that before yeah i mean you know but i it's it's not that hard to believe me having lived here for i mean i don't live here now but you know i went to school here and i lived here for you know 10 years Maybe more, 12, 15 years, maybe not that many. But I remember in Gainesville, man, it used to be freezing. I mean, it it, it gets to be really, really cold. You'd you'd be shocked. I mean, you're in the Pacific Northwest, 
and you're telling me it's 20 degrees warmer there than where I am. Yeah, no, I, I never would have thought. I've been to Florida a few times on, on business trips and whatnot down near uh, Tampa, and uh, it is... Tampa know, never gets this cold. Tampa never gets this cold. That's That's the thing. Florida has, you know, an invisible weather line where the terrain and the weather changes drastically like it's seemingly like if you travel 30 miles south of here the weather is the weather and the terrain and the topography whatever is super different than here like this is where, where, where north central florida is it's kind of the same as like georgia but florida the florida you imagine like tampa you know that Florida. I got you. <clears throat> that Florida yeah, doesn't but... start until uh, you know another eh, 60, 70, 80 miles south of where I am. I got you. Yeah. So you're 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 in this little pocket, this little belt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Weather is fascinating like that, man. Exactly. Um, you know what else is, is fascinating? All these people hooked on opioids and and i heard you say that you're yeah you're not hooked on opioids but boy that's a big problem these days in america well knock on wood man you know knock on wood that i'm not um you know i i i like i said i don't know what an opioid is i do have my own addictions you know i'm dealing with them i guess everybody sort of does um, but you know, uh, luckily, I guess I don't, I'm not dealing with anything as bad in quotes as opioid addiction. So let's start with what the hell is an opioid? Well, uh, an op- I'm not a doctor or anything. I'll just give you the Japan pimp answer based on whatever I've accumulated in my head over the years of knowledge about it, which could or could not be, um, as accurate as a doctor, someone may explain it. But an opioid is basically, at a highest level, it is, it is. you have uppers and you have downers. You have drugs that make you all jacked and amped up, like uh, cocaine, right? A stimulant. And then you have the opposite of those. You have ones that chill you out, lay you back, get you drowsy, all that kind of slow you down. The downers. So an opioid, the opioid is a downer. Think of it as heroin. Or, or heroin, heroin and its synthetics. So you, you've heard of prescription drugs like fentanyl. Oxycontin. I've heard of fentanyl. Uh, Prince died of a fentanyl overdose. Yep, yep, that's right. So fentanyl, oxycotton, codeine, morphine, those are all opioids. That's all like the heroin family. And they, they, they their job is to what? Dull pain? Their job is to is to slow you down, to yes, not to dull to dull your body, to to bring you down, super relax you. Um, um, if you have pain, it will it will um, the, the receptors in your brain that that pick up that pain, it will it will dull those receptors, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, it it it, it lowers your senses. Okay. Okay. So somebody who's experiencing, you know, excruciating or ongoing or chronic pain, physical pain, uh, 
and who doesn't want to experience that to the degree that maybe he or she is, he's going to take an opioid. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're in the if you're in a hospital and you you're at, you you've broken a, a a bone or you're you're like you're hurting really bad. There's some super physical pain going on. The strongest thing that can give you is codeine, and they'll just they'll only let you jack up your your self dose there in the bed by pressing that button a lot. They'll let you jack that codeine up so far. But yeah, that that's like the super strong painkiller, and they. They also uh, prescribe it to people in pills um, who have chronic pain. So, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. So, it isn't a psychological drug. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a mood-altering drug. No, it does alter your mood. It brings you down. So, it gets you drowsy. Um, you've heard of uh, Lean, right? The, the rappers and, and those kind of guys drink Lean. Right. And lean, lean is basically codeine and some stuff. That, from from my knowledge, I might be wrong there, but uh, you know, cough syrup and code has codeine in it. Stuff mix it up in some drinks and drink that, and it, it brings them down. It chills them out. It changes their mood from from hyper to like super chill, super low. Slows right. your heart rate down. You take too much, your heart's gonna stop. Right, so that, that was my next question. Like, I, you know, like I said, Prince died of fentanyl. Um, I'm not sure what it was that Michael Jackson died of. Um, pro- something similar. Something, right, something similar. That, well, that's, doctor, why, that's why I brought him up. Mm-hmm. His doc, he was having trouble sleeping. And he wanted his doctor to shoot something into his arm. I forgot the particular drug, but I it, was say a, it was pro- a Propofil? That's... I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure. Not uh, but it slowed his 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 body down so much that his heart just stopped, and and the doctor wasn't monitoring him at the time. And usually when that happens, the doctors will come in and shoot you up with a um, a stimulant, some adrenaline, you know, to get you going again. Wow, that just but, uh, sounds. But he overdosed him, and his heart just stopped. That sounds like a crazy thing to put your body. In through voluntarily you know to get yourself doped down and then and then you know that that becomes dangerous and then and and maybe there's the possibly possibility that you've got to get yourself doped up again just, and you know in order some to people live. do both some people take a downer and an upper at the same time so they'll do like some cocaine and some fentanyl or something like that what the hell? For what? Like to get to, to get back to get exactly back to where they were? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how it works, man. I yeah, I, I don't shoot this stuff up, but um, I was you know, I was talking to some people and and they they do um, stimulants and downers at the same time. So who are the people hooked on these opioids, man? Who's hooked? Who who's the crisis affecting? You know, we have this we have this crisis in America. I was listening to NPR this morning, uh, and it was talking about the opioid crisis in America, and it's hitting the same demographic as the meth crisis. So yeah, it, it's mostly white people. Um, it's white people who are getting prescriptions from their doctors for fentanyl and oxycontin and whatever else, and they're taking it and. It, it makes sense 
because uh, uh, black and brown people usually don't have the same level of insurance as white people. This is a this is that reports and studies have been done on this a lot recently in America, and black and brown people usually have lesser insurance. You know, not quite as good, and they'll go in to get treated by a doctor, and the doctors are like, eh. And so a lot of hospitals and doctors prefer to treat white people. They do some some type of screening there to get more white patients because they make more money because the white patients have the better insurance. So in order to get these drugs, they're getting it through insurance. So it just makes sense that who has the most insurance, who has more insurance, the white people, they're getting these drugs and um, the crisis is affecting them. So, you mentioned, or or I think you had mentioned something about the, a correlation between these white people, men, and like lawsuits, homelessness. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's not what what, what NPR was saying this morning is that um, a lot of the people who are being affected by the opioid crisis are are putting pressure on politicians, local politicians, businesses, uh, to, to do something about their addiction, to help them. Um, and, and, and they're, they're, they are suing, um, they, they've gotten to a point where they've, where, where the government has now taken notice and the government is saying, you know, the government's always playing some kind of racist card, you know, that's just how the American government works. They, Let's incarcerate black and brown people. Let's help white people, right? So the white people in America are suddenly having this opioid crisis. So the government is responding and saying, okay, we'll do something about it. What do you need? Well, go sue Walmart because their pharmacy distributed Oxycontin and fentanyl. Go sue Walmart. Go after Walmart. Go after the big pharma companies that make this stuff. Make them pay for getting us hooked. So the government is encouraging people to sue the people that are distributing and making these drugs, but at the end of the day, the government has to give the drug its approval. The, the, the FDA has to say, sure, these things are safe, they're, 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 they're not harmful. Well, you that's can... the thing. That's the thing. So the FDA already gave approval for these drugs years ago. Um, and, and it's not the government telling the people to go through these places. It's the people putting pressure on the government it's the white people putting pressure on the government to do something to these companies um, because because they want they they don't want to accept responsibility for their addiction. They want someone else to be responsible for their addiction. So they're not taking ownership of their addiction. So these <laughs> there's millions of these people, white people, because the opioid crisis, based on what you're telling me, is not really affecting black and brown communities as much, right? No, no, it's not. Right. And, you know, um, we don't even really include Asian. At at some point, I guess we should. We say black, brown, we should say yellow, too, I guess. Um, (laughs) Right? Shouldn't we? I mean, you know. Well, I mean, mean, hey, let's do it, right? So black, brown... Black white, and yellow. Black, yeah, but the but the white people are the ones that are affected by it. So, and and they're not. I mean, what what kind of like um, what do you think that says about them? You know, the people who are saying, 
I got myself addicted to this drug, or I'm addicted to this drug. It's your fault because you sold it to me. I mean, that's kind of the same as like a gambler saying, hey, let's shut Las Vegas. You owe me some money. I went there. I, I, I'm, I'm a gambling addict. I went there. I lost a bunch of money. So I'm going to sue Las Vegas because I went to the city because I like gambling and, and they're, they're still open. I can go there tomorrow if I want. And that shouldn't be. I mean, is that the case? Yeah, that, that's exactly the case. That's my take on it. Um, and, and, and hearing these things, it, it, it's exactly as you said. It's like an alcoholic saying, hey, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm going to sue Budweiser, uh, the, the, the manufacturers. I'm going to also sue the liquor stores, the Walmarts, right, who are distributors, because they're making it too easy for me to buy alcohol. Just, I mean, it, it just makes no sense. So what what should they do? I mean, like what you know, like have they been winning these lawsuits, bro? Have they been winning these lawsuits? Yeah, yeah. One 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 big pharma company. I forgot the I forgot the name. You can probably look it up on Google. Just pharma company sued for op- op- opioid. There's a couple of really big pharma companies that were sued, and the lawsuit passed. It won. They had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars, and it was a family-owned business, and, and they just, you know, somehow moved the money around and avoided paying it and did a bankruptcy thing and whatever else, so damages were never really paid. Um, but yeah, they're winning these lawsuits, and now the DOJ, Department of Justice, is going after Walmart, and I heard that on uh, NPR this morning, and they're suing Walmart because... Walmart, uh, because they said Walmart was was distributing opioids um, haphazardly, basically. That's my own word, but haphazardly, without um, really verifying or, or, or digging into whether or not the person actually needed them. Is that a pharmacist's job to screen people? If they have a prescription from a doctor, why does the pharmacist have to be the cop? Yeah, I mean that you know, it sounds to me like the pharmacist sh- should also be the doctor. Let, let's cut out the middleman. Let's cut somebody out. I mean, if if the doctor says you you know you your condition warrants your use of this drug, and here go get it. <laughs> you know, the pharmacist's job is to fill the bottle with pills and tell you what it's going to do. It's not the pharmacist's job to 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 try to ascertain whether or not you need these things. That's what the doctor just did. The, the doctor just did that. He's done his job. Right. You know, he's 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 just dictated that he thinks at least you need this. But it sounds to me, man, like on a bigger level, it, it really sounds like, I don't want to say the end of, but, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies are some of the richest companies in the world. And... They, they they run governments. I mean, they, the pharmaceutical companies make trillions of dollars. They, the government is going to sue a pharmaceutical company or a Walmart for distributing, for selling something. You know, that's, that's basically what they're doing because I can turn around and say, well, hey, I'm addicted to Pop-Tarts. 
I'm addicted to Pop-Tarts and these Pop-Tarts have preservatives and they're not real healthy and I can't stop eating them. I'm going to sue Walmart because they're selling me what I want. I mean, that sounds to me like the government versus corporate America. It sounds suicidal. It sounds like the snake eating its tail to me. You know, it is, it's a strange thing, which is why America's, America is a litigious society. Yes, we it love, is. Everything <laughs> we do is, you know, if you get anywhere in this country, you have to have a team of lawyers, yep, right? Yeah. Um, somebody sued, McDonald's has been sued before. I, know I remember that. these cases. And people were blaming McDonald's for their weight problem. It's like, did McDonald's force you to come into their restaurant and order five supersized fries every week, you know, with some fucking, you, you, you know, milkshakes and stuff? Like, and now you're suing McDonald's? You know, it's, it's the same sort of thing, but these law, some of these lawsuits won, man. That's the crazy thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's kind of my point. Like, it's it's insane. It's insane. It's like, okay, you have the freedom to exercise your will to go to McDonald's and eat, you know, 10 Big Macs and eight chocolate shakes and all. you it's your choice. You've got the freedom to do that. That's kind of what the beauty of America is. That's that's that, that's the envy of the world in terms of America is that freedom of choice to do whatever the hell you want and the abundance to go get it, you know, it's there. Whatever the hell you want, you can go get it every day. And now you got people suing the, you know, the the merchants of consumer goods, like shutting that kind of it sets a precedent, you know, that hey, maybe you shouldn't sell something so good. Maybe in some moments of time, some locations. You're not allowed to sell good things, not to, you know, not that McDonald's is good. I, my point being things that people want, that seems insane. But like you said, America being a litigious society, everybody's always, you know, that, that, that dovetails in capitalism. Everybody's always trying to make a buck one way or another so okay i'm a i'm a I, you know i weigh 600 pounds i'm unhealthy i've got heart disease i've been eating mcdonald's 40 years of my life it's hard for me to do anything whatever i'm going to turn around and sue mcdonald's and see if i can come up it, it's just yeah like, exactly it's just kind of like it's just you know it's a come up but it's also to me a shocking indictment of the weakness and fragility and frailty of the white American psyche or the white American, you know, emotion, yeah. you know, e emotional stability or lack thereof. You got, you're taking drugs. You're, you got yourself addicted to the drugs and now you're going to sue Walmart because they sold you the damn drugs. Are you not a grown man? Did somebody walk you to Walmart you know, with a pistol at your head saying, you're going to buy these goddamn fentanyls. No, but, you, you, you know, no. You know, I, I, I think you touched on it. It's that whiteness in America that is the cause of these problems. Because if you think about it, think about it. I've, I've been trying to wrap my head around this. And try to, I'm trying to dig into why. If you really think about it, white privilege is causing this problem. I'll explain 
recently white privilege is not what it used to be. You know, in the 40s and 50s, you had good jobs just because you were white, right? You 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 knew somebody, hey, come work at the at the um, come work at the office. Don't worry about it. You're a friend of the family or whatever. We went to school together. It's an automatic hookup. Being white was just an automatic hookup for jobs and wherever else. That white privilege is going away, right? Now, I know a lot of white people now who are struggling. Oh, sure. They are, they, they, they are, they could barely pay their rent and all that stuff. And it wasn't like this, Trevor. It wasn't like this 30 or 40 years ago. 30 or 40 years ago, most of the white people, I, I knew very little white people who were struggling, who were really struggling. Now I know tons. So that white privilege is going away. And this is what's happening. Homelessness, addiction, all this stuff. These are symptoms of white privilege going away. And so what's happening is the white people in America have never really had hard times, you know, as a whole, right, as a people. Um, They've always had good times. And so a lot of them are falling on hard times for the first time in their generation, in their family. And they don't know how to cope with it, right? They don't know how to cope with being number two or not having enough or and so they're and so they're 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 running away to some kind of escape they want to drink more they want to they want some opioids they want something to run away to because life sucks right now for them but when you look at black people or brown people or someone that's always had to struggle it's just tuesday right it's just right, tuesday right. hey i lost my job man it's just tuesday yeah, I'm not going to run away to drugs and alcohol because we've been struggling our whole life. We know how to deal with nothing. We know how to deal with with not with not having any privilege. So the white people don't know how to deal with it because things are changing rapidly for them. They're running away to these things and they're choosing um, their vices over rent. Right? Nobody asked them to spend 500 a month, 800 a month on their opioids or their heroin. Right or their alcohol and sacrifice rent. They're choosing to do that and live on the street in these tent cities. That's what white privilege and the, the, the wanting of white, white privilege is causing the homelessness and these addictions. Bro, that sounds to me like an implosion of white America. I mean, you know, what, what you said is so true and so right, and I had never, ever considered it before. I, I can remember 30, 40 years ago here in America, I didn't know too many white people who were struggling either. They all seemed to be doing well. They all seemed to have nice big houses, cars, insurance, bank accounts, vacations. You know, um, I didn't know a lot of white people back then who were struggling either, but you're right. Now, they're they're in the pretty much the same predicament economically yeah as black people you know um hispanics it's the same it's everybody's just struggling to survive the economic the economic you know playing field really really has leveled in such a way that you know white people's income has dropped and matches you know the, the brother down the block pretty much <clears throat> pretty much it, and that's causing a lot of these problems and you know 
what, one thing, you know, so these things were really getting to me when I was listening to the NPR thing, the, this white privilege. Oh, you know, we're going to sue all these pharma companies for our, for our addiction. And then the cities and government saying, oh, let's help homeless people. You know, uh, let's help all these drug addicts. They need help. They don't need to be thrown in jail. Well, where was this in the 80s and 90s when all the black and brown people were doing crack? Where, where was this? Where was the sympathy? Where was the, let's help these people? All of a sudden, a bunch of white people start having drug problems. And, and it's it meth and opioids. These are all white people problems in the rural areas and in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the in not only rural areas, but, you know, urban areas too. All of a sudden, a lot of white people, the majority of white people are, are in this drug crisis in America, which is causing homelessness and all these other problems. Now, all of a sudden, let's help them. Well, let me ask you a question, bro. How big, if that's the right adjective, how, how pervasive is the opioid crisis for, for, for these white people who are suffering from it? Like how, you know, give me a statistic or paint me a picture. Like, you know, I, I work in an office. Let's say I work in an office. I work in an imaginary office. There are 20 employees, 18 of them are white. How many of those 18 people are going home and taking fentanyl and whatever else you said every night? How how deep is the problem? Uh, I heard those stats. I can't recall them right now, and I'm sure it would be an easy Google search for any listeners. I was listening to uh, a show not too long ago. It was a news a news show. They had a reporter on the street going to urban areas where they have these homeless camps, these tent cities. And they were going to Phoenix, Arizona. They were going to Florida. They were going to San Francisco, L.A., all over the states. And they were interviewing the homeless people. Like 90% of them were white that, 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 that were being interviewed. They were all out there. 90% were white. And, and they all said that they were drug addicts. Like, like, not all, like, like practically everyone, but there was like one or two families who were living on the street, but they were only there for a short period of time. And then they, the reporter asked the people, well, what about someone who's truly, uh, who's not a drug user and they're, they're, they're having a hard time. And they said, oh, those people are just here for a few weeks and then they find something and, you, you know, and, and, and they're gone. But with the chronic people who are always on the street, they are the drug users. And that's this homeless crisis. Bro, when I was so, in L.A., I, I don't know. <clears throat> I was in L.A. in January this year. And, you know, I lived in L.A. before. So I left L.A. I, 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 to move here to Atlanta, what, 2016? That's four years ago. And at that time, just four years ago, L.A.'s, LA's homeless uh, crisis was relegated to downtown L.A. predominantly. Everybody, if you lived in L.A., you knew downtown LA has a huge homeless population half of downtown LA was the homeless owned it maybe not half but I, you know there's a street I, I think it's San Pedro that if you go east of that street all that whole side of downtown LA is homeless and that was four years ago but there weren't very many homeless people in the valley in Hollywood, there were no camps. There were no camps. You might see the stray homeless person 
but there were no camps. Bro, when I went there this January, there were homeless camps in, in San Fernando Valley, under bridges, in Hollywood. It, homeless camps everywhere. Silver Lake, that, that I was like, I couldn't believe it. In four years, it seemed like the homeless population, bro, I can't even say tripled. I, I quadrupled, quintupled. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nutty. I'm actually looking at the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health. And it's talking about whiteness and race, ethnicity, and gender differences in drug use and, and abuse among college students. And, and they're all coming up majority white. And then there's this other article that talks about the war on drugs, which, which actually touches, I've never seen this before, but it touches on the point I made earlier about white privilege going away. This is from the, uh, the the same resource, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health. The article is titled, The War on Drugs That Wasn't. Wasted Whiteness, Dirty Doctors, and Race in Media Coverage of Prescription Opioid Misuse. So, Wasted Whiteness. That tells you that that they're wasting that white, pri- white privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and then the article is just going on here to talk about how bad the opioid problem is among whites in America. And it has a picture of a, of a white lady here shooting up on the street. Um, so, yeah, this is this is meth and opioids are a white people uh, problem that's plaguing America right now. Bro, but listen, I mean, if you're a black man and your enemy you know, or your imagined enemy, that being the white man, is doing something to himself to (laughs) destroy the privilege that he was born with. He's destroying that by taking drugs and becoming addicted to these drugs. That creates a situation for you that could be a come up. You know, I, I guess what I want to ask is, you know, give me a prediction, man. What do you think America will look like in 10 or two, just 10 or 20 years, 10 or 20 years, 2040? You know, that's 20 years from now. What, what, what do you think the demographics of America will look like? You know, I think white people are no longer the majority, not saying that there are more <clears throat> Spanish or more blacks. But the combination of blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, I think just in the last few years has surpassed the number of white people just in terms of population here in America. But, you know, COVID is happening, opioid crisis happening. What, what's going to happen white, to white America, bro? What's white America going to look like in 40 years? You know, I would say look at the rules. Look at the rural areas in America, and that's your predictor. Um, don't look at the at the urban areas. It's I, I think I think the data is a bit, you have to go where it's majority white to see that trend. Um, for example, we have um, property in a very small town here in the Pacific Northwest, population two thousand. 
you know, like 2,200 tops. Small town. <coughs> All white. Less than 1% black. I think there's one black family in the whole town. Besides us. And... Um, uh, I've been talking a lot with the neighbors, and they're all nice and white folk and all that stuff. We get along great. But a lot of the, all these guys that I talk to, they're older guys, they're working guys, contractors. One guy runs a quarry, one guy's a builder, one guy runs a, a farm or something. And they keep telling me, like every time we talk, it's like how how their how their their workers don't show up because they're on drugs and it's hard to find work. And it's hard to find good workers, da-da-da-da-da. And they're just going on and on about how how um, there's becoming this big gap in rural areas between those who are ready and willing to work and trying to be productive members of society and then those that just want to waste away on drugs and, 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 and whatever else. And but- they're feeling the pain. And this is a recent trend, and I see this trend continuing in white America. Let me ask you a question, bro. What gives America superpower status? I mean, the, the picture of the population of America that you're painting for me, you know, these white people who have essentially, you know, along with slavery, along with black, black power, whatever, you know, ha- these white people have essentially been the engine or the creative engine, I guess, um, of this country becoming, you know, the economic powerhouse that it became, of course, along with black manpower, okay? But these white people, you know, they, they, they put on the shiny happy face of being, being the product of success, you know, but they're not so much anymore. I mean, it, you know, you, you, you look at all these, you look at our greatest cities, Los Angeles, New York, um, you know, I, I don't know if Atlanta would be considered a great city yet. I think it is. But, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Detroit, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, these the cities, you know, that historically have been the economic engines of America and they're dilapidated, ruined. They're not making anything. And now there's an opioid crisis, you know, taking hold of that very community or that very demographic that has historically been the most productive for America. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's... Yeah, yeah, but but you see, they're they're, they're running... Let me illustrate it like this. Trust babies. So you have a bunch of rich great-grandparents who just built an enormous amount of wealth. And I'm going to come back... uh, This illustration is actually going to tie into reality. Um, you have a bunch of rich great-grandparents. They accumulated wealth. They passed it on to their children. Their children passed it on to their children through trust and whatever else. And then you're born, right? You get a piece of it. And it's like, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a fucking, uh, what, 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 what's the name of that show with the, with, with, with the Happy Gilmore. He didn't do Happy Gilmore. He did, uh, the one where he's just a spoiled rich kid running around. I, I don't uh, know. Wasting his, I, I really don't yeah, know. Yeah, Adam Sandler did that movie where he's he's just a spoiled rich kid wasting uh, drinking alcohol all day and everything. Uh, but but that's what that's what you do when you're a trust baby, right? You just you fuck around and, and enjoy life and drink drink booze with your friends and party and be a socialite and all that kind of stuff, right? 
you, you, you squander stuff. You squander stuff. Usually, right? A, a few stressed babies are going to try to... <laughs> now, think about America. That happened. Now, when you think about what you... You, you, you ask the question, why is America a superpower? Because the great-great-grandparents, the OGs, set it up. And, and that's it. Full stop. And that is running out of steam. That's losing its momentum. So back in the day... I remember this clearly because I studied uh, uh, the, 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 the richest business people in America's history. Andrew Carnegie, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, you know, all these guys, right? They, these men built America, right? Um, the amount of wealth that Carnegie had, Rockefeller, dwarfs Bill Gates and Elon Musk when, when you compare dollars in their day to dollars in our day mm-hmm. you, you know if, if things were equal dwarfs bro by like 50 times up to 100 times mm-hmm. dwarfs mm-hmm. these guys those old OG American guys that built America were ballers dude with a capital B they made Elon Musk look like an ant they made Jeff Bezos look like an ant but a lot of their legacy continues today Rockefeller oil companies right Exxon, all these guys, Standard Oil, whatever. You know, uh, Carnegie, you know, all these guys, J.P. Morgan, their legacy, their money lives on today. But it's it's um, it's changing. And that's what propelled America in the beginning. And then here comes the world wars. America sits back, lets the countries fight, right? They're draining their money, draining their resources. And America steps in and says, okay. We will, we will do some things for you, but pay us in gold. So then America started hoarding all the world gold at the time of the world wars. And then that got messed up in the 1970s when they detached the gold standard from the dollar, right? And so America's just been in this progressive downward trend ever since the great people that built this country, you, you know, through capitalism, extreme capitalism, um... Ever since they, ever since they're, they're, uh, they've passed. So, um, what makes America a superpower is the fact that these um, people that built America set it up that way, and we still we're still benefiting from that trust that they set up, quote unquote trust, so to speak. And that funds our military. That funds all kinds of things. And, 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 and I think that, that it's, it is that combined with the amount of money we spend on our military, which is many times more than any other country in the world. Those two things make us a superpower. Is it changing? Yes, I think it is. I think China's getting momentum. India's getting momentum. As all these other countries start coming into technology, I mean, look at us. We just had a massive cyber security attack on our country. And... Um, that's a level playing field. No battleships and, and, and cruisers and Tomahawk tow missiles are gonna, are, are you know they can't compare with us at that level. But on the cyber level, level playing field, baby. North Korea has some of the best hackers in the world. So, you know that's just how it is. Hey man, these white people who are addicted to opioids and suing Walmart, are they morally inferior? Are they a morally inferior group? You hear, you hear, you know, Generation Y, you know, um, they, they don't know how to make friends. They don't know how to communicate and operate in the real world. Generation X, Generation Z, XYZ, you know, you hear 
these demographics being vilified in terms of their inability, you know, their, their literal lack of intellect, lack of willpower, lack of character. Do you think these white people who are addicted to opioids are inf- morally inferior, weak characters? You know, I I don't think that they are morally inferior. They choose. They are choosing a path to enjoy their life how they see fit. No, I'm they not talking about their, their addiction. I'm talking about their suing. They're, 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 you know, they're turning around and... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, I see. Stooping to that level. No, no, I don't. And here's why. They don't know any better. They're taking that white privilege and they're, you know, white... Uh, uh, a, a result of right, white privilege is that it's everyone's fault but yours, right? So uh, let me illustrate it like this. I was working at a, at a tech company back in the day in San Francisco, and I was just a grunt, right? Guy in the front lines. The owner's wife... You know, they, they were ballers. They had millions of dollars. The owner's wife called me. And it was working on Saturday. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my shift on Saturday. Okay, I'm going to have some people deliver <laughs> some patio furniture. Some, they're going to deliver some patio furniture to the office. It's for my house. Please sign for it because I won't be there to sign. And I said, okay, fine, no problem. I'm working Saturday, delivery company shows up with all these nice wooden chairs and tables and all this fancy teak wood patio stuff and I sign the form and they, they leave it in the in the storage facility, right? In in the in, in the office. She comes in on Monday, unwraps the stuff and starts yelling at me. All of a sudden it's my problem. It's my fault. And I'm like I'm like, What? You know what? This these chairs have water damage. This table has water damage. Did you unwrap it to inspect it? I'm, I'm like, no, I didn't. You just told me to sign for it. Well, she was pissed, dude. She, it was all my fault that the delivery company delivered wood furniture that was water damaged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I should have checked. You know, it's not her fault. It's not, you know, it's not her fault because, it, look, if she wanted that furniture, she could have been there to sign for it and inspect it. If it was that important to her, she could have stopped her Saturday plans or had it delivered to her house or, or whatever, right? No, my fault. So it's 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 not that she is morally it's not that she was morally inferior to me. It's that she just didn't know not to she, she, she just didn't know how to accept responsibility to, to to be accountable for her decisions and her actions. It's always someone else. And she's coming from that place of privilege she is rich white and, and, and all that do you think do you think white people are having a problem with their sense of self-esteem bro do, do, do you understand my question do, do you know like they've always like you said just kind of been privileged they've, they've always just been sort of privileged to be white you know doors fly open for them and you know um you know carte blanche carte blanche treatment every anywhere they go um but now there's a crisis in their community and they don't you know the 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 economic playing field has been leveled they're not you know there aren't as many trust babies anymore there's there there's like we said lots more of these white people who are financially struggling 
you know, um, turning to opioids and, 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 and forming tent communities and things like that. Do you think that there's a crisis within like a, like a, an existential crisis happening in white people where their self-esteem, where their whiteness is no longer their card and they just don't know what to do? Yes, that is your, yes, without a doubt. And that's why so many supported Trump. That's why they supported Trump because they want their whiteness back. They want that white privilege back. They want their, um, they want jobs to come to them just by default, right? They, they want all this stuff, and, and, and they're, they, um, the, the, the white privilege, the, inherit, the inherited white privilege of a white American is slowly going away. And there are some that are desperately trying to hold on to it. And, and, and yes, I think that that is a, I think that that is perpetuating their problem because it's causing them to not look for solutions. It's causing them to just look for um, people they can blame, anyone but themselves. I don't want to learn a new skill. I, don't, I, I want to keep working at the blue-collar factory that I've worked at for whatever, making cars in Detroit. I don't want to learn computers. Bring those jobs back. Well, hey, buddy, how about we bring back all the blacksmith jobs, too, and we can start fixing horse and buggy and carriages. Let's bring those jobs back, too, right? They took those jobs away. No, the horse and buggy blacksmith learned something new. Now they learned how to machine parts for automobiles. Well, that, that changed, too, and now they're learning how to program computer chips on cars. So how about you go learn a new skill? So, yeah, I think it is a crisis, and that crisis is, is, is um, self-destructive because it's causing them, it's causing white Americans, many white Americans, to, to not look for solutions, to just play the victim and keep blaming others. And how, and how will that affect the rest of America? you understand like you know if 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 these white americans go through this opioid crisis and start suing walmart and uh you know more and more homeless homelessness metastasizes you know throughout the country um how's that yeah, gonna will that weaken america's position and, and how will that affect america no, no not, not just america. not just america let's start with how will it affect like black people, how will it affect our community? It'll bring more opportunity. It'll bring more opportunity to black and brown people and yellow people, right? Um, and back to the rule. Um, I said, look to the rules, right? <clears throat> For what's going to happen. As a result of my conversations with these people, these these business owners in the in the rural um, community that that we live, they're looking to hire Mexicans. You know, black people, whatever. They don't care. They're not. Uh, they're becoming less and less um, race, um, race they're become, specific. They're becoming, yes, they're becoming less and less race specific and more and more colorblind because at the end of the day, they're just looking for someone who's going to work. And so the demographics of this community are starting to change. It's now almost 20 percent Hispanic because they just can't find people, white people who want to work like they used to. And they all say the same thing. Nobody wants to work anymore. Wow, man! It was bringing opportunity to the Hispanics. That's intense, man. That's intense, and you know you can see 
Well, I mean, I live in Atlanta. 20 years ago, I, I, I didn't know there were any Hispanics in Atlanta. I'd never heard of it. it, it you know, I, I've always thought of and heard of Atlanta being a black city. Well, it very much is a black city, but trust and believe, there is a huge Hispanic population, thriving population in, in Atlanta, and they're popping up all over the place. You know, is the black is Black America ready, willing, able, and poised to take advantage of this sort of transfer of economic power, even at the lower economic levels? Like, you know, the the kinds of jobs that Hispanics do that white people don't want to do. I mean, are is the Black community, you know, ready, willing, able, and poised? Man, you know, don't make me answer that, Trevor. Don't make that's I'm gonna piss a lot of black people off. Um, you know what? I I don't think black people are are gonna want to do that stuff. A lot of black Americans come from this place of privilege, too. You owe us, you know, they, they you know, they just want people to hook them up, you know, give me my give me my reparations, you know what I'm saying. My great grandpappy never got 40 acres in a meal, so hook me up. A lot of black people just want that, want that instant hookup, and they don't want to put that work in. So and, you uh, got that's the difference between a Hispanic and a black person. So you got a sinking white ship, okay? You got a sinking white ship. Then you also got a sinking black ship because I agree with you. I, I don't think the black community is ready. Uh, or able, or you know what I'm going to say, alert, aware enough of what's happening to be, you know, coherent and unified enough to make the jump into a whole new economic, you know, status as a community. I don't think we're ready to do to to, to do that either. We're too busy listening to, you know, um, Playboy Cardi. And yeah, you right, know, right. drinking lean, smoking right. weed, you know, trying to get some ass, and trying to get a get a pair of red bottoms. We're we're too heavy yeah. into all that stuff to notice what's happening. But you are so right. That's my point. The Hispanic community is unified in in a way that Black America never has been. But the Hispanic community very much is, and so is the Asian community. So yeah. while while the white, while, you know, while middle class white America undoes itself through its opioid addiction, and Black America undoes itself, kind of just you know through its cultural <laughs> pitfalls, you know, who's going to fill the vacuum? Uh, uh, Asians and Hispanics and uh, Indians from India and um, and and uh, um, um, parts of black community and white community yeah. that want to work. Yeah. You have to put that work in, and there's an awful lot of black and it, the Asians and Hispanic don't necessarily have this problem, but like entitlement and privilege problem. The black and white communities have this problem. The white community has this privilege problem. An entitlement problem. The black community has this "you owe us" problem. You know, so hook us up. And a lot of them aren't willing. I know a lot of black people. Half my family is black. I'm half black. I know a lot of black people who, who just don't want to work. Yep. 
the way that people need them to work. Yep. And white people that don't want to work the way people need them to work either. Yep. It's like, and, and, and they're they're both operating from the the, the the white people are operating from the frame of mind of, oh, I don't got to work that hard because it's always been so easy for us and everything. And I, it, it'll work out. You know, my, my, my grandpa's rich or whatever else. Then you got the black people who aren't really working because I ain't doing that. You know, hook hook me up with a hook me up with a with, with a front office and a, you know, I just want to go from, I want to go from like nothing to like instant baller. When crack came on the scene, bro, in the '80s, I was in New York, and when crack first came on the scene, it decimated black communities, decimated black entire black communities, where like everybody was on crack. And if you weren't on crack, you were caught in the crossfire of crack. But 40 years later, crack isn't still the same, you know, doesn't have the same impact on black communities. It's kind of, you know, there, there's, there's definitely still people on crack, but it's not, you know, it's not ravaging the community to the same degree it was in the 80s. Is that what's going to happen with these opo- opioids? Are we going to look back 20 or 30 years ago and go, man, do you remember when, you know, everybody in that town was on opioids? Are they going to get it under control, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, things things go in cycles and ways and trends and fads. I mean, back in China, right back in the day, everyone was on uh, opium, right? That was just a drug of choice. The whole nation was like, like, you know, smoked out all day. You know what I'm saying? And back in the 80s, right, all the black people and, and poor communities want crack, you know, rich communities too, you know, the mayors and stuff were doing that, um, and then, you know, now we have the opioid problem and the mess problem with white people today, it'll pass, it'll pass, but um, the damage it's going to do, what it's going to do is, it's going to, um, it, 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 it is going to, it's going to speed up or hasten the decline of white privilege that's what it's going to do and it's going to make it's going to keep putting white people on a similar level as black and hispanic and asian that's what it's going to do so um, everyone that is uh that wants that white privilege back that that entitlement um and 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 they're they're doing their opioids and meth at the same time they're just shooting themselves in the foot New Year's Eve, man. New Year's. 2021 is, is five days away. What are you doing with your family, bro? Boy, we're moving. We're, we're moving into a place that's um, a little closer to our property. Uh, you know, we bought some land. We're building a home. Yeah, we're going to be busy moving from now until we're, uh, we're moving early next week, so... Wow, you're you're moving into a new place. You're you're moving into a new place for a new year. Wow, that's fantastic, man. I I, I you know yeah. that sounds like a, a I can't think of a better way to start the year than in a brand new house. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to make a single um, resolution, bro. Just re, you know, just resolve to live well in your in your new home, man. Listen. I really appreciate. Yeah, it, it, it's not a new home. We're 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 we're, we're renting a we're renting a place near our property. So. Oh okay. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade from this apartment because we have we have three kids, two dogs, wife, and a little eight hundred square foot place. It's like a tiny New York thing, 
and it's like we're, we're going nuts here with the homeschooling and everything. Well, hey, <clears throat> that sounds like um good fodder for um an- another conversation. Homeschooling, new home, new land, new year. Let's um. You know, let's wrap it up. We're we're getting close to that hour mark. Japan Pimp, I so appreciate you enlightening me on the opioid crisis that, you know, might just level the playing field here in in, in America with these white people um, shooting themselves in their white feet. Um, I appreciate it. I'm 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 going to talk to you in the in the new year, brother. Likewise, likewise. Looking forward to it, Trevor. All right, this is Trevor David Houchin with my man Japan Pimp, and this is Nothing Specific.